The following audio is from Fathom Church in downtown Littleton, Colorado. More information about Fathom can be found at fathomchurch.org. Church, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, open them up to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians 6, uh, you can open a phone, a tablet. There are hardback black Bibles under every chair, and uh, Ephesians 6 is on page 979. If you're online with us, hey, we're glad you're with us. Uh, Find your Bible, click that Bible tab, join us, meet us in Ephesians chapter 6. I'm going to pick this right up, verse 10. This is where we're at, Ephesians 6, verse 10. Here's what Paul says, finally, finally. That's what he says. What a fitting way to end this section. Finally, that's what he says. And finally, just so you know, today's our last day. This is the end of Ephesians. We have made it all the way through this book. Uh, Finally, we are at the end. 13 weeks later, uh, we have walked through this whole thing. I hope you've enjoyed Ephesians. I mean, I I have, and so I guess that's all that really matters, but uh, I hope that this has been good for you as well. If you were with us, if you've been with us or you've kind of kept up with us either online or on video, um, you should have a pretty good grasp of this book. There's two halves to this book, and I've said it on repeat. You should know what those halves are are. You should know what precedes what, right? Like you should know this. And actually, I think I'll I'll say it this way. This isn't heresy. I'll just say it. If you only had Ephesians, you would like you didn't have the rest of the Bible. You would have all that you need to follow Jesus. Like I think Ephesians presents the gospel and the outworkings of the gospel in as clear a fashion as any other book in the New Testament. So I hope this has been good. Ephesians, Paul starts today with finally, and what he's going to do is he's going to put a final point in this letter by showing us how we can implement all that he's already talked about. So here we go. Verse 10, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. So Paul starts this last bit of this book by saying, finally, finally, you're, you're going to need to be strong. You're going to need strength. You're, like you're, you're going to need, actually, it's not your strength. You're going to need God's strength. You're going to need the strength and might of the Lord if you're going to live out all the stuff that we've talked about in this letter. So like we've said, the first half, chapters one through three is about belief. It's about belief. Chapters four through six, it's about behavior. It's the outworkings of those beliefs. And so Paul is ending by saying, you're going to need God's strength to believe this stuff. You ever think about that? Like the stuff that we believe is actually hard to believe in our own strength. It's actually difficult to believe that God came to earth, lived a perfect life, died a death in our place, and rose from the dead to offer us hope through him alone. That's hard to believe. You're going to need God's strength to believe this. But additionally, you're going to need God's strength to behave. Right? Anybody else feel this one? Like you think that you should just be able to do this Christian life thing, and then it turns out to be way harder? You're going to need God's strength. You're not going to be able to do this in your own strength. So that's how Paul opens this last section up. You're going to need to be strengthened by God. You're going to need to have his strength and his might. And now he's going to like pull back the proverbial curtain. It's like uh, in Wizard of Oz, when you pull back the curtain, you see that like weird wizard dude in the corner. That's what's going to happen now. He's going to pull back the curtain and he's going to show you why you're going to need the strength of the Lord to believe and to behave. Here we go. Verse 11. Put on the the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So so he whips the curtain back and he says, you know why you're going to need God's strength? You, you, you know why you will not survive this Christian life on your own strength alone? It's because you're at war. It's because you're at war. You're in a battle. You're in a war. Paul, Paul, 
finishes his book by talking about spiritual warfare. Now, sometimes we think of spiritual warfare as like the weird Dungeons and Dragons mystical stuff that goes on in the book of the Bible, right? Like it's for those, for those weird Christians, like the Christians you don't want to be like, right? Sometimes we think like that's the spiritual warfare stuff, but, but, but I want you to remember the context of what Paul has just finished talking about. He has just finished talking about marriage and parenting and, and our workplaces as ways and relationships that God uses to train us to be filled by his spirit. So these are ordinary, everyday life sorts of things. And in those arenas, Paul follows up by saying, and you better put on some armor. You better armor up because you've got an enemy, the devil, and he's who you're at war with. He's who you are at war with. So, so Paul is talking about spiritual warfare. And, and to quote C.S. Lewis, this is a famous C.S. Lewis, Lewis quote. He talks about the demonic like this. He said, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve their existence. And the other is to believe and feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. So that's from Screwtape Letters, okay? And, and, and I think it sums up most of us when it comes to this spiritual warfare kind of demons and demonic and Satan and stuff like that. Like there's some people who just get too hyped about this stuff, right? They just get a little bit wacky about, like you get a flat tire on the way to work and it's, and it's not the nail that you ran over that did it, it's the devil, right? He's trying to get you by that. It's like, I'm not sure, probably not. Like maybe just... Don't do that. Okay, like other people think that, like they, they wake up, they do their hair, and it's just like a bad hair day, and they think that there's like a demon behind the bad hair day. And listen, some of you just have bad hair, all right? It's not the devil, okay? Someone once, literally, someone once told me that the, 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 the enemy was thwarting their plans because they ran out of gas. No, 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 that, you're just dumb. <laughs> Right, like, like God, the Holy Spirit gifted you with that gauge that tells you when you're getting close so you can go fill that. I've run out of gas. It's not because the enemy was out to get me. It's because I was being a dummy, okay? Like that's, I'm just, you don't need to, we, we don't need to be those kinds of spiritual warfare people. But hear me, I, I, my guess is that that's not gonna necessarily be the temptation for most of us. Rather, I think the, the temptation for us more often than not is that we just, practically don't believe that there really is a devil who's out to get us. See, see, you think that the real problems in your life are your marriage or your kids or your job and your boss. Like, like very often I'll read the prayer cards, those prayer requests and, and valid prayer requests will come in and it'll be like, my marriage is, right? Like, like my job is this way. But my boss would just, my kids, I just, my kids, I need prayer for this. And listen, those are good and right things to be praying for. But Paul just said, that's not the primary war that you're in. Okay, Paul is saying that's not the primary war being fought. It's much bigger than those things. They might be the areas in which you do need prayer, but there's something going on behind the curtain. You aren't just waging war against flesh and blood, but rather against the very cosmic powers and spiritual forces of evil. Sounds like Lord of the Rings, right? Church, you have an enemy. You have an enemy and he wants to steal from you and kill you and destroy you. And those aren't my words. Those are Jesus' words from John chapter 10. So just for a second, think about this. I'm gonna do this a few times through this sermon. Think about this. If you were the devil, if you were Satan, how would you try to destroy you? What temptations would you throw in your way? What ongoing struggles would you just continue to facilitate? If you were the devil, how would you try to destroy you? And really quickly, I think you'll see why, like the why behind some of your ongoing struggles. Because I'm telling you, he's behind those things. He's behind a lot of that stuff. 
It's because you're wrestling with powers and forces of evil. But Paul, Paul says all of that. He says, you, you, you are not waging war with flesh and blood, but with all this other stuff. And then he says, we actually have a way to stand against those things. He doesn't call us to like run away from the devil. He tells us to flee from sexuality, right? From sexual immorality. He tells us to run from certain things in the text. But in this text, he says, stand firm against the, the enemy, the devil, and his schemes. And here's how, verse 13. Here's how you stand firm against the enemy. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand firm. So he says, what we're going to talk about today is the, the whole armor of God. So I've been naming each sermon with a one word title and today's title is armored. Armored. And uh, the whole armor of God, if you were raised in the church, you know about the whole armor of God. And I'm just telling you, if you were raised in the church, you probably know about the whole armor of God in a problematic way. Because the whole armor of God, what the evangelical church has done with this is, is they've wrecked the whole armor of God by turning it into a kitschy kids ministry thing. Say, I mean, tell me I'm wrong, okay? Like, we start, we, it's a flannel board with like pieces of flannel. Am I missing our demographic here? It's a, okay, I'll change. It's a video of a vegetable, <laughs> a talking vegetable wearing armor. That's, that, the, uh, am I missing you again on this one? No, no. It's, uh, okay, I, when I got saved, when I first got saved, uh, I, my first job after becoming a Christian was at a Christian bookstore, and we sold this. <laughs> we sold this at Family Christian Bookstore. Anybody, anybody want to admit that they have this? No? Okay. I wouldn't want to admit it either, okay? This is the full armor of God toy. This is what we've done with this doctrine. This is the full armor of God toy. Uh, I'll read what it says in that little red thing. I'll, let me read this for you. It literally says, Christian character building costume. Huh. Huh. I said last week that sports don't build character. But here you go, right? Just get your kids some plastic armor, and apparently this is how they will have Christian character. Can you imagine some poor kid wearing this, going outside to play with his friends, and they've got Nerf guns, and he's got a plastic shield and a sword of the spirit, and he's swinging it? I mean, no wonder people make fun of Christians, okay? It's just no wonder with this kind of stuff. That's not what we're talking about today. The full armor of God is actually of the utmost importance that Paul says, this is what I'm going to leave you with after my incredible letter that is Ephesians. This is why he ends with this. Now, we're going to work through the full armor of God. We're going to work through it piece by piece, okay? But this is incredibly important before we jump into this. Paul, you will notice, is going to use language in the past tense, He's going to use past tense language in the coming verses. And I, I think it's important. When is the right time to put on armor? Is it, is it before the battle or after the battle's already begun? This is not a rhetorical question. It's, you should know this, okay? It's before the battle. Thank you. Okay. Like I, I played lacrosse in high school. Not well, but I played lacrosse in high school. Um, and listen, we would put on our pads and our helmets before the game. It's a good practice. If we had gotten out there without pads on and guys started swinging sticks at us and slinging one of those little white hard balls and trying to check us and we didn't have our armor, our, our pads on, it was over for us. Be over for us. You have to armor up before the battle begins. That's why I think he uses past tense language. You'll see it. You'll see it. Okay, here we go. We're going to work through these ways to be armored uh, before the battle begins. Chapter 6, look at verse 14. Stand therefore, having fastened, you see the past tense there? Having fastened on the belt of truth. So Paul's going to start with the belt of truth. Somebody asked after first service said, why doesn't he start with the helmet? Like the helmet, the, the, the top of you, the head, that, your brain, all that. He starts with the belt. And I think he starts with the belt on purpose. So here's what Paul is trying to do, okay? 
He's talking to these readers in ancient Ephesus where they are under occupation in the Roman Empire. And he's channeling something that they would have seen daily, a Roman soldier. And so what he's doing is he's going to start picking apart an illustration that they would be very familiar with by talking about every piece of a Roman soldier's arsenal of of weapons and, and armor. And he starts with the belt and he says, hey, this is the belt of truth. This is the belt of truth. Now, I think he starts with the belt of truth because a belt, while we kind of neglect the idea of a belt, a belt goes right around the core of your body, okay? Uh, And if you are putting on armor, a belt holds all of your weapons. And in Roman soldiers, it was the piece that connected all of the other pieces. It actually literally helped your armor stay on, your whole armor stay in place. So this is the centerpiece, the centerpiece, plus it keeps your pants on, which is a good thing if you're going into a battle, okay, right? Um, It's like a little bonus fact. You shouldn't go into battle without pants, but that's the belt of truth. He starts with the center, and he calls it the belt of truth, okay, because he's dealing with what's at the core for the Christian. This is the core. This is the center for the Christian. Now, when most people talk about truth, they talk about truth as a what, A what? Like a set of propositions or a set of ideas. The truth is a what. But in the Bible, the truth is best defined not as a what, but as a who. It's a who. Remember John 14, verse 6? Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is that belt, is that center. So Paul is starting by saying, gird yourself up with Jesus, right? Like, like make your identity in Christ the very center, the core, the thing that holds all the other things together. Make that central. That's how you first put on the full armor of God. Now he keeps going in verse 14. He finishes the, the thought by saying, okay, uh, fasten the belt of truth. And then he says, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, so the second one, breastplate of righteousness. Um, He moves to the breastplate. He goes up from the belt and breastplates, they cover most of your vital organs. They cover most of your vital organs, specifically the most vital of your organs, your heart. You can actually do okay with a punctured other things. You puncture your heart, you're in trouble. So the breastplate is covering your heart, and I think this is an image of what happens when we are in Christ. So the question is, uh, it's the breastplate of righteousness. Whose righteousness are we talking about here? It's Christ's, yeah. Another Acts 29 pastor, a guy named Joby Martin, uh, who has a great last name, uh, he has my favorite treatment of this idea. He points out that on a Roman soldier... The breastplate, you've ever seen like 300 or, you know, one of these movies, the breastplate is like chiseled, right? It's like perfect pecs, perfect abs. It's like Chris Hemsworth or something, right? It's like Thor, right? Like it's, it's manly. Listen, they don't make um, breastplates that look like me, right? Like lanky with love handles. That's not selling a lot, you know, in the, the breastplate Okay, it's not intimidating anybody in battle. And he says that that means that when you are wearing that breastplate, it's a perfect form. It's perfect righteousness that you are wearing, regardless of the jiggle that's going on underneath that thing. So, so listen, and this is doctrinally sound, okay? Second Corinthians chapter five says, says that, that God for our sake made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So, so this is where we're talking about Christ's righteousness and the, the, the breastplate of righteousness. And there's a nice big theological term that I've taught you that comes, in this ver- comes from this verse and it's called double imputation. Double imputation. And this, this, this text is talking that on the cross, Jesus performed two double imputations. The first imputation is the believer's guilt and sin on Christ. That is imputed to Christ. He became sin. He took our sin. That's why we say Jesus takes away my sins. 
But there's a second imputation. The second is that, is, is that Christ's righteousness is then granted to believers. It is imputed to believers. He gives us his perfect life. It is as if we were Christ. It's credited to our account. And so we put on the breastplate of Christ's righteousness, hiding the sin of ourselves and showing and displaying the perfection of our Savior. But then I also think, so this is like that righteousness being covered in Christ's righteousness, but I also do think that there's an obedience element with this breastplate, okay? Because you are covered. Yes, you are covered in Christ's righteousness, but you must also bring your life, the behind the jiggle, okay? You got to start working that out so that it can begin to match the breastplate that you're wearing. Remember, behavior, not just belief, but behavior does matter in this book as well. And I'll just say it like this. Satan will use whatever part of you that is not surrendered to God. He will use, he will attack whatever part of you that's not covered by the breastplate of righteousness and being conformed to the breastplate of righteousness. That's, that's where he will focus his attack on you. Sometimes we call that a chink in the army, armor, a gap in your armor. So listen, maybe that's a bad habit that you have. You're a Christian, but you've got a bad habit, and you know it's sinful, but you're just not taking it seriously enough to try and break that thing. Okay, maybe it's somebody that you won't forgive. Like you're just harboring unforgiveness against a person, or maybe it's a bad relationship you're not going to let go of. Maybe it's just another small part of your life that you're just unwilling to surrender to God, like your dating life or like how you spend your money. Whatever, I just would say, whatever part of your life that is not brought into obedience to God will be the place, the focal point that Satan is going to attack you in. So back to our question, okay? What do you think that'd be for you? I mean, do some of that self-reflective work. Like, where do you think you might have a chink in your armor, a gap in your armor? Or maybe, maybe I'll ask it this way. Um, if you knew that one year from today, December 4th, 2023, if you knew that one year from today, your life would be shattered. Everything that you had, all that your prospects, like your life just went in the dump. One year from today, what do you think he would use to do it today? What's that thing? Man, that's likely a gap. It's likely a place where you have not been covered by his righteousness or conformed to his righteousness. So we put on the breastplate of righteousness. Next, verse 15. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. So I'm gonna call these the shoes of readiness. They don't really have the you know, clever title as well, but the shoes of readiness. And what the text just said is that your feet are actually an offensive weapon in this war. Sometimes we'll treat the, the whole armor of God passage as like the sword of the spirit being the only offensive weapon that you have and everything else is just protecting you from like jabs or whatever. But I think the feet of readiness are actually, the shoes of readiness are actually an offensive weapon. Your feet carry you into battle. They're a way that you move the fight forward. And Paul just said that Satan can be overcome by when we go on the offense with the gospel. Right? They, that, that this overcomes Satan's work both in the lives of those who we go to, but also in our own lives. So listen, joining in gospel work is one of the ways that we thwart Satan's work. By getting involved, by serving, by being involved in missions, by doing evangelism. This is actually an active way. It's an offensive weapon for you to protect yourself from the attacks of the enemy. See, I'll put it like this. The, we are easiest prey for Satan when we're bored in our faith. You are easy target for him when you start getting bored in your relationship with God. This is, this is how King David fell into adultery. 
right? Like, like, you know the story, he's at home. He's like hanging out at the palace when everyone else is engaged in battle. He, said, he stays back, everyone else is out fighting. He's like lounging on his roof and bam, Bathsheba, right? He gets bored. He gets disengaged from what God is actually doing. And there's a honey. Listen, some of you are sitting ducks for Satan because you're just bored. You're just bored in your faith. I just encourage you, get involved in God's mission. Satan won't have so much opportunity in your life the more engaged you are. Uh, easiest way you could do that here, join a, join a serve team at Fathom. Fathomchurch.org slash serve. Serve your church. Serve in some way. Listen, that's not it, okay? Like, go on a mission trip. Serve the homeless, okay? Share your faith with your neighbors or your coworkers or your family. Like, all of these things, God has made it so that we are only healthy when we fight. He has not called you to just put the armor on, hang out in the corner, and hope you survive the onslaught. He says, get your feet. They're ready. You got shoes of the gospel. Move forward. Move forward into battle. So get connected, serve, do these things. All right, verse 16. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. So he reminds us once again, hey, there are flaming darts. Like there are darts from the evil one that are flaming, that are on their way, if not already upon you. He's actively attacking you. And so you need to take up the shield of faith. The shield of faith. Now, a Roman shield, a Roman uh, officer's shield was created to be used in group combat, not in individual combat. This is what he is talking about when he's talking about a Roman shield. These shields were created to be used alongside the soldier to your left and the soldier to your right. They would link these shields over one another to protect each other and themselves from oncoming arrows and the attack of the enemy. They called it a shield wall. You've seen 300? You've all seen 300, no? Shield wall, right? Like, and they just, they form this wall. Now hear me, the reason why I think Paul calls this the shield of faith is, is, is linked to that. See, this might sound wrong, but it's right, okay? S sometimes your own faith is not enough. The shield of faith that you carry, man, sometimes that's not enough faith to protect you and get you through a situation. Now hear me, it's because it was never meant to. It was never meant to. You were never meant to be in this battle with the enemy as individual combat. It's never meant to be that way. And our culture, even our Christian culture, has so individualized this stuff that it's like, no, you should have enough faith. You've got enough faith. You're great. You're doing fine. Anybody want to admit that they aren't doing fine and they aren't doing great? And no matter how much mustard seeds of faith you've got, you're still feeling an onslaught? You're never meant to be in this individual combat. You are, though, meant to be a part of the shield wall of faith that is the church. You're meant to be in community together. And Paul is clear that there are flaming darts of the enemy. I don't even know what that means. Flaming darts, not just regular darts, they're on fire. Fire darts from the enemy. There will be, listen, there will be times in your life where you cannot make this thing on, out, on your own. You, you just can't. Your own faith will feel like it's not enough to hold you up. And listen, it's because it's, it, it's true. You don't have enough. It was never meant to hold you up. You were always meant to be behind the shield wall, the body, the church. We, this is why the Bible says that we, the church, are to bear one another's burdens. It's because you stand next to me and you put your shield up and I'm protected on this flank. And I stand next to you and, and I've got my shield up and you are protected from this attack. This is how it's meant to work. 
So I just say this. Yes, yes and amen. Come on Sundays. I think this is really important. And I know we've kind of gotten away from Sundays as like a culture in church. It's like, oh, I don't need to go on Sundays. I'm, I am the church and we're friends and we're always churching. You know? So it's like, I don't need to go to the building. To, yeah, you should come to church, okay? You should come to church, but you need to link your shield with some other people. And 50, 100, 150 people, you can't link shields with that many people. Okay, this is why we constantly push connection in groups and Bible studies as much as we do. We have lots of options. I'll pr- promote fathomchurch.org slash groups. We're coming into the new year. We're opening groups up for another round. Sign up for this. Men's groups, women's groups, D groups, mixed groups, youth group, young adults group. We got lots of groups, okay? Like get in. Get in with your shield. We need, maybe you feel like, ah, I don't even think I need to be protected right now. I'm feeling pretty good. That's great. You know what? I need you on my flank then. Like maybe you're doing okay. We need your shield to protect some of us. This is why we do group life, okay? And I just want to say this. Listen, if you're already under attack, like those flaming dart things, it's not like, oh, maybe someday I'll hit a, get a flaming dart in the forehead. Like you've got a flaming dart in your face right now. Like if you've got that, man, dive behind the shield of faith that is the church. Get in here, we'll extinguish that thing, we'll work with you, but like, you're not meant to do this thing alone. It's where the enemy will take you out. Verse 17, verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, um, this, it's, it's, not, it's helpful and it's not helpful to break all of these pieces up and talk about them individually because they are individual and yet they all work together. And so there's a lot of overlap here. But this, this, this helmet of salvation, I think it's similar to the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. Like I think it's similar, but specifically the helmet covers your head and the head is where your brain is and the brain is where you think. And so what I think Paul is doing with the helmet of salvation is he's telling you to let the truth about your salvation and God's grace in your life permeate your mind. Paul will say in Romans chapter 12 that you should have your mind renewed, the renewal of your mind. And he links it, I think, with the sword of the spirit, which Paul explicitly tells us is the word of God because God's word is how we remember our salvation and renew our minds. I think they're all linked together. And so the sword of the spirit, everyone loves the sword of the spirit. And, and I've talked about the sword of the spirit uh, before, but tell me what a sword is. What's a sword? It's a weapon. A sword is a weapon, okay? I don't know if you knew that. That's a, like, okay, I carry this little pocket knife in my pocket. This is not a weapon. This is so I can open Amazon packages, <laughs> all right? That's what this is for. That's what this is for. It's for cutting open cardboard that we order in excess. Okay, now if I carried a sword on my back and I used that to open packages, like, you know, like taking out my Christmas gifts, can you imagine that? You think, this guy's crazy, okay? Because okay. listen, because it's a weapon. A sword is a weapon. If you've got a sword and you're using that to like cut meat or you're using a sword to open your packages, listen, that's crazy, Okay. Okay, you don't need a sword unless you're using it as a weapon. And what the text just told us is that God's word, the the scriptures are a sword. This is this is our weapon. This is our weapon. And why would you need a weapon? Because you're in a fight. You don't need one if you're not You're in a fight. And again, I think the problem for so many of us is we don't actually believe that we're in a fight. We're in a fight against the world and the flesh and the devil. And the only reason why you wouldn't want a weapon is if you didn't think you were going to be attacked. I think it's why we are so flippant with God's word in our lives. Because we don't really believe that, that it's our means of attack but you're in a fight, y'all, and the Bible is your weapon. And wherever you are not centered in the scriptures, in the truth of the scriptures, you are exposed to the attack of the enemy. Don't you remember how this thing all started, Genesis chapter three? Remember Genesis chapter three, the, the fall? Here's what happened, okay? The serpent, 
who was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. That's Satan, just so you know. That's your enemy. He's more crafty than anybody else. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Satan's first attack, the first attack was to say, did God really say that? He attacks the word. Did God really say this? And listen, here's the truth. For millennia now, he has not changed his tactics. Want to know why? Because he don't need to. This is, the, this is what the devil is going, he's, the goal of what he is trying to do to you with God's word. Here's what he'll do. One of two things, okay? The first thing that, that he will try to do is for you to doubt his word. He'll whisper questions. Did he really say that about your money? Did he really say that about your sexuality? Did he really say that about how you should give and how you should engage and how you should serve? And how, did he really say that? He'll try to get you to doubt it or, and this is just as good, he'll get you to neglect it. Yeah, I can read the book tomorrow. I know this thing pretty well. I don't need this thing. So church, I'll just tell you, this is why we preach through books of the Bible. I mean, not entirely, but one of the primary reasons why we preach verse by verse through books of the Bible is because you need to know your sword. You know how to use this thing. You have this thing figured out. Okay, you gotta do work on this thing. And that's why we spend a lot of time talking about the scriptures. This is why our kids ministry and our youth ministry are not just like fun areas for kids to like be stimulated with candy and lights. Like we're teaching them, we're not doing, there's no vegetable movies in our kids ministry, Okay. They're like learning God's word. Our youth are downstairs in first service and they are hearing God's word preached to them. And the reason we're doing that is because when life cuts them, we want them to bleed scripture. We want it so ingrained in their hearts and their minds that when life, those those flaming darts of the enemy start hitting their little lives, that they are able to respond with truth from God's word. Every, Every year here at Fathom, we do a Bible reading plan, right? We print one out, we put it out on the table. And we do a Bible reading plan. Well, uh, I'm, I'm doing a read through with some guys right now, and I found out that you can do a group reading plan on the Bible Gateway, or not the Bible, uh, the YouVersion Bible app. I didn't know you could do this. So we set up a Bible reading plan for 2023. You can go fathomchurch.org slash Bible. And uh, most of you have the Bible app already, okay? So uh, if you don't, you can download it. It's free. But if you go to fathomchurch.org slash Bible, you can sign up to join us and do a read through the Bible. You can read New and Old Testament or just New Testament if you feel like four chapters is too much and one chapter is enough. Like, you can do whatever you want to do. But hear me, I'll be doing this. You'll be able to see what, that I read every week, every day, okay? I'd love for you to join me. You can read it, you can listen to it, you can go for a walk or a run or drive or whatever. You can leave comments about things that are sticking out to you. What if there were a hundred people from our church or more who are all reading the Bible at the same time, commenting, holding each other accountable and, and, and essentially learning how to use this sword together? This is easy. It's easy. They won't, we won't throw no shade if you're missing days. I'll be missing days. I do not read the Bible on Sundays, just so you know, okay? I read the Bible right now but I'm not like getting up early in the morning and like reading Jeremiah before I have to come and preach Ephesians. I'm going to miss one day in seven. So sue me, okay? There, your pastor is going to give you one day off a week. There you go, okay? Take, call it your Sabbath, okay? We're going to start this January 1st, Fathom Church, 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 Bible. Okay, here we go. We're almost out of time. Verse 18, we're almost done. Verse 18, here we go. Everybody stops with the sword of the spirit, but there's one more. Verse 18, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. See, many people stop the whole armor of God at the sword of the spirit and then neglect the last couple verses which talks about prayer. You have multiple offensive weapons. You have shoes of readiness. You have the sword of of the spirit, which is the word of God, and you have prayer. You have prayer. It is a main weapon that we have. 
Now notice, prayer's at the end. It's the end of the list. And that means that prayer is not something that we only use before we go into the battle. Lord, we pray a hedge of protection over this battle. Like, I don't know what a hedge of protection exactly is, but we pray, we pray for this meal, we pray for this flight, we pray for this day, and then we go about our business. No, you, you keep praying. You start with prayer and you keep praying. It's how you fight. It's actually what you do once you're dressed for battle is you get on your knees and you pray some more. See, we often treat prayer like it's only preparation for ministry. And Paul, according to Paul, prayer is the ministry. It's not just the prep work for you to go do it. It's what you do. See, sometimes we think of prayer as like, a, a, we're like, oh, you're struggling? You should pray about that. And we think that, man, that's just too simple. It's too simplistic an answer, right? That's just too lame or obvious. Of course I should pray. The Christian's telling me to pray, of course. But honestly, when things go bad in our lives, don't we tend to try everything else on our own strength and our own power to get some sort of relief. And then when all of those things fail, we say things like, well, I guess there's nothing left to do but pray. And to that, Paul would give a resounding no. Prayer is the first place you run. It's the place you run the most frequently. Do you see prayer as your first line of defense or as your last resort? Because it is the front for Paul. Hey, I didn't, uh, a couple weeks ago, I didn't get a chance to talk about <clears throat> the shooting that happened in Colorado Springs or then the subsequent shootings that happened, I think, throughout that week. And uh, goodness, there's these atrocities that happen. It's just, I, I, we'd, all we would do is talk about these things. But I did want to mention this. Uh, listen, it, do, it doesn't matter what your view on human sexuality is. That was wrong. That was atrocious. We can all agree that what happened in that club in Colorado Springs was horrible and awful and heinous. Like, like that is, un, that, that's not, it doesn't matter what you believe. That's wrong. And then I followed the, the kind of the conversation throughout the week. And after another shooting or so, I think President Biden tweeted this in the aftermath. And I put it up here. He said, prayers are not enough to end these senseless mass shootings. Now, listen, I agree. I agree with his sentiment. It's not enough. But I also think he's off on his theology. I think he said this to diminish the value of prayer. See, there are more things to be done around violence in our country, but as followers of Christ, this is the first thing. Prayer is the ongoing thing, and it might be the most important thing. It's not the only thing, but it is not, not enough. It's, it's, it's when we fall to our knees and plead with the God of the universe to intervene in areas that we can't make sense of, that's when the real power starts to flow. This is prayer. So I say all this to say, goodness, fill out the prayer cards. Like that's not just an exercise in letting us know what's going on in your life. It's actually something that we do. Every week, those come across my desk. The staff, the elders, we read them. We pray for you. It's not so we can check the prayer box. It's a part of our ministry. I mean, every single Sunday, we have prayer partners after the, the, the preaching in the back, men and women who will pray with you. Take advantage of that. Pray. It's a weapon. It's a weapon. So guys, this is how Paul closes his letter. I mean, this is, an, this is an incredible letter to the Ephesians, and he closes it with kind of a downer at some level. Right? He kind of closes it, that, hey, Satan, the devil, he's, he's attacking you. He's coming after you. He's got darts. He's got all this stuff. And he closes it by saying, hey, there's a way that you can stand firm against him. And 1 Peter 5, 8 kind of a parallel passage, says this. I'll put this up on the screen. Peter says, be sober-minded. You know what that means? That, that's like not drunk-minded, like sober-minded. Be clear in your mind and be watchful. Like keep your head on a swivel because your adversary, the devil, 
prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. This is how Peter says the devil looks to him, like a lion, like a lion. The Bible calls the devil a lion, which is in the cat family. So uh, just saying. Um, but, but the image is that, that the devil's like hunting for you. Like he's not neutral towards you. He's on the hunt. He's on the prowl. And I always like to joke that, man, I wish that the devil was like a lion. Like I wish he was a legit real lion because then I could see him and be like, no, not going by that lion, right? Like if the devil was a legit lion, we'd all avoid him. Like if there were real fiery darts, we'd duck, right? If a fiery dart's coming, I would pull a matrix move and move away from that fiery Dart, but, but that's not the image here. The image is not literal, it's figurative. And what he is saying is that our enemy, he's, he's sneaky. You've seen the animal channel. He's, he's down on his haunches, hiding in the weeds, blending into the grass, just out of sight, waiting to pounce. And I just don't think we take him that serious. I don't think we take him serious enough or we would armor up, y'all. We'd be, we'd be strapping on pieces all day, every day, trying to protect ourselves from him. So I've, I've shared this image before. Let me share this as our final illustration. Uh, it's the way that people, uh, indigenous people in Alaska hunt wolves. I've shared this before, but the way that they deal with wolves uh, in Alaska is they don't shoot them. It's not like they hunt them down and shoot them. It's not that like they set traps and trap them and then, and then get rid of them. Rather, what, what I've read is that indigenous people in, in Alaska used to take knives, razor sharp knives, and they would have a seal and they would kill the seal and have seal blood and they'd dip the knife in seal blood and then they'd let that freeze and they'd dip it again and let it freeze and again and again and again, until the coating around the knife got so big that you couldn't see the blade and it turned into like a seal sickle or whatever. Um, and, and then what they would do is they would, uh, with that frozen blood popsicle, they would bury the knife hilt down into the earth, cover that up so that all that remains above the snow is just this blood treat. And apparently a wolf would come by and would start licking that blood because the scent of the seal, it's like, I guess they like seals or something. It's a good thing we've reintroduced them to our populace, right? It's great. Um, I told myself I wouldn't get political, but there you go. But as the wolf licks the bloody thing, their mouth would start to numb out. Like their mouth would get numb. And so as they're eating it, they would keep going because it's blood and it's starting to melt under their breath, but they're eating it and eating it and eating it. And, and, and before long, their tongue will reach the razor-sharp knife. But their mouth is at this point so numb that they can't feel it. So they keep going, and now there's more blood. There's fresh blood, but it's no longer seal's blood. It's, it's the wolf's blood. And these wolves will bleed to death as they are trying to swallow more and more, all the while unaware of what's going on. Now, I apologize because that's graphic. But this is what our enemy is doing. And it's like we don't even care. All we see is a, is a popsicle. And he's trying to kill you. He's sneaking up on us. He's prowling. He's, he's behind, he might be behind you right now. This is how he makes his assault. And we need to be aware of that. And that's the first step to then recognizing that Paul says, you can be armored against that. If I'm going to teach you anything, it's that you have everything you need to stand firm against the devil and his schemes. You have everything you need. Paul doesn't say run from the devil. He says stand firm, 
Put on the armor. Get behind the shield wall. Learn how to use the sword. Run with vigor. Get involved. Get plugged in. Like, here's how you can thwart Satan. But you got to do it. You got to be strong in this. So, the final introspective question. Where do you need to put on some armor? Where, where do you have a gap? What don't you feel prepared in? You can and should be confident if you are wearing these. So are you armored? That's how he leaves us. He actually gives a little greeting message about Tychicus, just in case you were interested. And then let me read these last two verses from Ephesians 6. Verse 23, peace be to the brothers and love with faith. From God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. And that's Ephesians. Let's pray. Oh, Father, this is the right way to end this, this book, this series, this sermon. It's sobering, Father. But I think that's what Paul, your servant, wanted. I think he wanted us to take with the utmost seriousness this war that we are in. And Father, I'm so thankful that, that he pulls back the curtain, that we believe the good news and we let that transform our behavior because we are in a war that standing by ourselves disarmed, we will lose, we will get taken out because we have an enemy. But you've provided us with armor. You've provided us with the whole armor of God. And this isn't a trinket or a toy. This isn't silly or flannel graphy. This is real deal stuff. So gotta pray over us, each man, each woman, each student in here. Give us eyes to see ourselves. Give us keen discernment to know where we're susceptible to attack. Give us the courage and wisdom to make the changes necessary to armor ourselves against our enemy. Holy Spirit, you're the true preacher of this church. Preach to our hearts now. We pray this in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, amen.